Hi, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. This is Dr. Yishan. So this week, I'm actually attending the sleep conference, which is the largest sleep conference in America every year. And I'm meeting with a lot of great sleep doctors, sleep specialists, and sleep advocates. So today, I want to talk about narcolepsy. So first, let me quote something from wakeupnarcolepsy.org. They said, on average, it takes about 10 years from onset of symptoms to an official diagnosis of narcolepsy. And normally, people need to visit about six different specialists before they can be diagnosed. And also, very often, prior to diagnosis, a lot of people would be misdiagnosed with other disorders like depression, uh, psychiatric problems, ADHD, or epilepsy. So today, our guest, Lindsay, she, it took her more than 18 years to get a diagnosis of narcolepsy. And later, but her journey did not stop there. It's a long journey of clarification and treatment and how to live a peaceful and happy life with herself. Let's hear what Lindsay going to share with us. So before we start, just want to remind you, if you or your family member, a friend struggling with sleep difficulties, I have a sleep training course in both English and Mandarin Chinese. Please feel free to check it out at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Let's welcome Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Great. So I know you've been actually have a really long journey for uh, figuring out your like uh, narcolepsy or your own diagnosis. Do you want to share your journey with our audience? Yeah, of course. So, you know, as a kid, I was kind of always the sleepy child. My dad's nickname for me was Sleeping Beauty because <laughs> even at a young age, I love to sleep. And I honestly would sleep until something or someone woke me up. However, I was in the fifth grade, and that was where some of the other symptoms actually started for me. So I had several cases of strep throat followed by mono. And that was where I started, you know, noticing some of the crazy dreams, the hallucinations, as well as the sleep paralysis. Um, so I feel like that's, you know, kind of where the narcolepsy part started. Um, and then from there, you know, we went to several different doctors, both primary care and specialists and kind of got, you know, the typical, oh, she's probably staying up, you know, too late. She's, you know, I even had one doctor that told me, oh, she probably just needs closer to 10 or 12 hours of sleep. You know, different things like that kind of got brushed off. Um, And then it was pretty closer to middle school that I remember having my first, what I now know is an episode of cataplexy. Um, And what we were at a swim meet and I was standing around with, you know, a bunch of my friends. We're laughing about, you know, all the crazy stuff that 13 year old girls laugh about. 
and my knees gave out. Um, I was laughing really hard and I just kind of fell back. Um, thankfully there was a lane line rail and I was able to just kind of sit on that. Uh Um, but that, you know, I kind of brushed it off as, you know, oh, I probably just laughed too hard. You know, this probably happens to everyone. Wow. So a lot of like, uh, trying to evaluate what's going on to normalize and there's no big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then in high school, you know, we still were asking, you know, questions because the sleepiness kept getting worse and worse, you know, going from, I would force myself so hard to stay awake, um, cause I did not want to get in trouble for falling asleep that I would zone out. So many of my journal entries are about me going home and sleeping. Oh, wow. And even going through like, you know, from the time that I would start that day to the end, you could see the change in handwriting. And by the end of the day, it would be ineligible. Wow. Um, so there's not really a life for you. And uh, you have to spend so much more attention and energy to stay awake or to manage sleep. Mm-hmm. And how much energy is going to be on other things? Yeah, wow. even, you know, as a high school, college, and even young adult, I would go home from school or work, take a nap before I could even do homework or do the things around the house. Um, And, you know, that continued. And once I graduated college and, you know, was working, um, I kind of started to question it again. You know, we had gone through several antidepressants at this point um, and they kept saying, you know, oh, we just haven't found the right one for you. And, you know, just something, in me told me, you know, maybe this is more than depression. And I was about 24 years old at this point, and I was told, well, you're not 16 anymore. You're not always going to have the same amount of energy that you did at that age. Oh, wow. And at this point, so I was drinking two and three energy drinks just to be able to function and still napping. And I had started researching and all of that to, you know, figure out, you know, who I could go to that, you know, was going to be the best fit for me. Uh And during that time, I was actually at a conference. Um, The conference was in Atlanta and I was driving from Charlotte, which is normally about a six hour drive. Oh, uh And I was planning to stop halfway, both on the way down and the way back. On the way down, you know, everything went fine. But on the way back, I was driving and I was about 30 minutes from my hotel, and I just had an overwhelming sleepiness hit me out of nowhere. Oh, wow. that's so dangerous. And I started, you know, I would stop like I normally would when I would get tired, you know, walk around the car, you know, do junk ducks, things to wake me up. But it kept continuing. Oh. Um, and there was one point that I was driving, and there was nowhere to stop. Um, it's a pitch black road, oh. um, and I swerved off the road a little bit, almost hit a deer. Oh. Uh, then um, I was going, I didn't realize it, 15 miles under the speed limit, oh. and I get pulled over by a cop, oh. No. Uh, oh. and I burst out into tears. Um, thankfully, he ended up helping me get to the gas station. I got a soda, was able to wake myself up and get to the hotel. But that was my big wake-up call. And that next morning, I finally found a doctor, and I called her to, you know, help 
like figure out what was going on with that, you know, get my new doctor and hopefully get an answer to this mystery that had been going on for so long. And she was the first one I felt like that, you know, confirmed that that was not normal. Oh, okay. So finally a doctor said it's not normal. Um, she didn't know much about sleeping disorders. So she did send me to a sleep specialist. Oh, wonderful. Um, and from there, you know, I did get diagnosed. But having that first doctor that says, you know, I believe you, let's find out why, um, makes a huge difference. You know, if it wasn't for her, I don't know how much longer it would have taken me to get to a sleep specialist to get yeah. diagnosed. Um, and once we did, you know, the MSLT, um, and the PSG, there was no question that it was narcolepsy. Wow. Um, and I was initially diagnosed with type 2. Um, unfortunately, I did not come off my antidepressants. So it suppressed the cataplexy. And about a month, month and a half after I got diagnosed, when we, I finally got off of those, it was out of my system. I started noticing when I would laugh, the weakness in the knees coming back. Um, and that was very quickly changed to type one. Wow, so by that point, how long did it take you? Um, that, it would have been, it was right at probably 18, 18 and a half years um, from you know those first symptoms after I had mono and strep. Um, you know, a lot of that was misdiagnosed as depression. Um, but, you know, that was still me going that long without treatment. Wow. So what's it like finally have a doctor, even though she does not have a deep sleep knowledge, but she was willing to listen and acknowledge, wow, your suffering is real. It sounds really weird, but I came out excited. Like, I had never come out of a doctor's appointment excited. Wow. But, you know, just to finally have this hope that I can get help changes so much. Um, And then, you know, going into the sleep specialist, it was kind of this mix of, you know, excitement of finally getting help, but also what if this test doesn't show anything? Um, So it was kind of that mixed emotion. You know, I I was hopeful that it would show and I could finally get that treatment, but also, you know, what if this doesn't go right? Um, thankfully it did, and we were able to finally get those answers and, you know, start that treatment and finding what worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that in itself is a whole nother journey, obviously. Right, definitely. But at least we can see in the process, right, having hope, having some understanding, having some, like, professional support can be a really good, important first step. Yeah, and, you know, finally have any name for it. Um, you know, before that, I knew I was sleepy. I knew I had these crazy dreams, but I I did not know what was the cause. I didn't have a name, and it's very hard, obviously, to treat something without a name. Right, right. Yeah, and, and we can also see it's such a limited area. Not many doctors have the knowledge of it. Yes, of course, you know, and finding the doctors that not only can diagnose it, but, you know, can help you get the treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and, you know, help me understand what is going on with it, you know, because this was, you know, obviously something I had seen on TV, but even before I was diagnosed, you know, I didn't truly really know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the one thing I'm very curious uh, is the mixed, like, diagnose between depression and narcolepsy, mm -hmm. right? So uh, now you look back, what can you distinguish between those two? Like what kind of symptoms may be covered by the other diagnose? So I know with me, you know, I didn't ever feel like I was truly depressed, mm. you know, um, you know, there were times that I was down, but a lot of t those times were times that I was dealing with, you know, the really bad sleep. I was, you know, waking up so many times a night and I was just that tired and that was what would get my mood down. Mm. Whereas, you know, if it's, I felt like if it was depression, you know, it would have been more consistent. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mine was up and down. Um, and despite, you know, going through all these different antidepressants, I felt like if it had been that, you know, there would have been some change, um, even if it didn't completely, you know, fix it, um, there was no change in my sleepiness from one antidepressant to the next. And that to me was a really big sign that, you know, this is something different. Right, right. Um, just, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me to, you know, just call a sleep specialist looking back. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, there's so many other things that can cause, you know, that fatigue and tired and sleepiness. And also, you know, explaining to my doctor the difference between like a fatigue, you know, exhaustion, sleepiness, that was something I didn't really, I feel like, understand at that point. Right, right. Yeah, sometimes we, we also like educate patients for um, if they struggle with some kind of sleep disorder, right? Mm -hmm. We try to distinguish fatigue and sleepiness are different things. Yes. Uh huh. Um, and at the time, that was something I did not understand. Even today, I think most people don't understand that. People still feel like, oh, I'm tired. I must did not sleep well. And I, my mood is down, of course, I did not sleep well, right? We, we have a very, uh, like, logical way of understanding all this. Yes, exactly. Um, and I do agree. I think it's something that a lot of people still struggle to explain. Um, and that, you know, from that, the doctors don't always understand which one that patient is. Mm, yeah. So look at this, at least this journey of diagnosis being diagnosed, mm -hmm. uh, is there, like, if our listen, listeners are listening and they have questions or they are wondering, right, they're curious about certain symptoms, look back, what are some suggestions you want to give them? You know, I would say if you have a patient, you know, that keeps coming back with this same issue mm -hmm. um, that is not being corrected, you know, look into other options, you know, whether it's at least sending them to that sleep specialist, whether it's, you know, consulting with another physician. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now there are a lot of other, you know, resources out there, mm -hmm. you know, to help educate both people and physicians about narcolepsy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, and I think not being able to, being afraid to say, I don't know, but let's find the answer together. Um, and also, you know, on the patient being not afraid to say, you know, I think this is something more and, you know, to continue exploring those options yourself. Um, you know, in our gut, when we know something's wrong, you know, nine times out of 10, we know our bodies better than anyone else. So don't be afraid to keep, you know, fighting and searching for that answer. Right. And don't just believe, like, trust one or two providers, mm -hmm. right? And as a psychologist, I know a lot of us, without sleep training, we may misdiagnose certain things as mood disorders. Yes. And physicians have their own limitations. So, yes, I think that's very important. Don't give up. If you have questions, try to find an answer. Try to find a specialist and uh, just uh, keep on trying. Yes, yeah. of course. So we know for a lot of patients with narcolepsy, their journey does not just stop at a point of getting diagnosed, right? So it took you 18 years to really clarify your diagnosis, and now you know what that is. Then what happened after that? Is that like all sunshine and everything just gets better? Uh, definitely not. Um, in my mind, you know, I had my diagnosis, the doctor was going to give me medication, and life was going to go back to normal. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, you know, with insurance, often you have to try some of the older therapies to even get some of the better medications. Uh. Um, so for me, you know, I worked with my doctor and the first thing that we tried were a lot of the traditional stimulants. Oh, no. And unfortunately, I had some really bad reactions to those. Oh, no. Um, you know, they, they may work for some people, but for me, overall, I'm very sensitive to medication. So even, you know, cutting some of these pills in half, um, I just, I could not tolerate the medication. Um, I had too, too many side effects, and that outweighed going without the medication. So we started working through some of those, but thankfully the more medications that I tried and failed, the more likely insurance was going to be able to approve oh. other things. Okay. Um, so I did kind of work through some of those. Um, and unfortunately, we went through quite a few. I had, I'd say, probably close to eight months of, you know, trying one medication, putting up with the side effects to see, you know, if they decrease, them not decreasing, and just being in the same spot, and then going on to the next one. Oh, wow. Um, finally, we were able to get um, one of the nighttime medications approved. Um, and I was very hopeful, you know, that that would work. Um, unfortunately for me, the same thing happened. Um, so we kind of went back to the drawing board and also began looking at some off-label medications because the thing with narcolepsy and many other rare diseases, you have a limited number of medications that are FDA-approved. Um, and one of the first signs of hope I had uh -huh. was actually me taking some research to a doctor, showing them some of this. Um, he had never heard of that off-label use, uh -huh. but being at the point that we were running out of options, you know, we decided to try it. Um, you know, with narcolepsy, you kind of have two ways you can treat it. You can treat it with stimulants during the day, or you can treat some of the 
you know, lack of quality sleep that you get at night. Mm. So we made the decision to start trying to work on some of that sleep at night. And thankfully, for the first time, I actually did have improvement of that. Um, I wasn't having as many nightmares. I wasn't waking up as much. Um, I wasn't having the hallucinations and the sleep paralysis like I had. And from there, you know, that was the first glimmer of hope that I had. Um, And doing that, you know, allowed me to at least get some of that energy. Um, We did start working on some really low-dose stimulants. Um, There were several medications that were in the pipeline that were, you know, going to be coming out very soon, but weren't out yet. So I did some of these low-dose stimulants just to kind of hold me over until those things got FDA approved, were able to hit the market, and, you know, hopefully try some of those, especially with me failing so many medications. Um, You know, and I got to a much better point than I had been, you know, previously, Uh um, especially having that nighttime medication. So we're, you know, just kind of, you know, waiting on that. Um, Uh And then in January of 2020, I had a bad accident and I was rear-ended. Oh, no. And, you know, anyone, whether you have a chronic disorder or not, Uh a wreck will shake you up. Um, Uh it can cause a lot of things to go haywire basically. So, you know, I tried to wait, wait it out. Um, but there were a lot of new symptoms that I started having. Um, I wasn't sure if they were narcolepsy, if they were unrelated. I was having spells of dizziness. I was having a lot of pain and not just in the areas that you normally do with a car wreck. And it was you know, going on past the time that it would normally take you to heal from a wreck. You know, I was getting into, you know, five, six months after, and I'm still having this incredible amount of pain, both in joints, muscles, and I just don't know what's going on. So I start talking to my doctor, you know, telling her what's going on um, to see, you know, is this medication related? Is this something else is going on is this narcolepsy. Um, Pretty quickly, they rolled out that it was narcolepsy related. It just didn't seem to fit other than, you know, me having some of the added brain fog and tiredness. Mm -hmm. But with so many of the other symptoms, we really felt like there was something else going on. Mm -hmm. Um, The next thing was we did one at a time kind of come off some of the medicines to see if those, you know, were causing that, which, you know, Anytime you have to come off medication, it is not easy. Um, So, you know, thankfully I was working at home and not having to worry about driving, um, but it did make working difficult during that. And no luck there. You know, whether I was on or off, I was still having those symptoms. um, And if anything, they got worse when I came off. So the next thing was to try to start sorting out, you know, what, what, where to even start with this. Um, one of the first things they did, they sent me to a regular neurologist that didn't specialize in sleep to see if it was some kind of neurological issue, um, came up empty handed. And then, um, they of course tested for, you know, a lot of your typical pain syndromes, RA, um, those type of things, no luck. Um, but where I got really lucky 
the neurologist that I had seen, um, she happened to have a roommate in college that was a rheumatologist. And when I went back to her for a second test, um, especially with some of the dizziness to make sure that wasn't neurological, she's, I was pointing to where the pain was. And she asked me if I'd ever heard of fibromyalgia. And I had heard of it. I didn't really know much at all. Um, but when she showed me on her phone the pain points, a lot of those were consistent with that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and she was able to actually get me to a rheumatologist that was able to help diagnose me. Um, and whereas, you know, I was on the later end of that diagnosis, um, typical time to diagnosis, I was actually on the earlier part for fibromyalgia. I got diagnosed in six months, which is, a, you know, although it is a long time to go, it is a shorter amount of time than a lot of people go through. Wow. Um, so that's something you did not have before, but the conflation uh, started after the car accident. Yes. Wow. And typically, one of the big triggers can be some kind of trauma, which, mm. you know, a wreck can be part of that. Right. So... You know, we have the answers there. Um, however, the dizziness didn't seem to fit with that. So we still had to figure that out. Um, I also got sent to like an ENT to see if it was, you know, some kind of inner ear. Didn't have much luck there. Um, however, one of the things when they're doing the inner ear test, um, they're pouring water down your ear. You're laying on your side. You sit up. There's a lot of moving back and forth. Uh -huh. And one thing that we noticed was when I was changing positions was when that dizziness was happening. Oh. Um, so, you know, although they said, you know, nothing's wrong here, you know, I was able to at least see some kind of, you know, puzzle piece start getting put together. Mm. So I went back to my doctor and I told her, you know, hey, you know, nothing... Didn't find anything there, but during the test, we noticed some of the dizziness is caused by changing in position. Um, so from there, I got referred to a cardiologist. Um, and at first, I did kind of get some pushback, um, you know, because he didn't seem... One of the things that they suspected was postural orthostatic... Um, Tachycardia syndrome, so POTS. POTS, oh, yeah, yes. yeah. I was thinking about POTS um, when you mentioned that. But when they had done the um, typical early test where they have you lay down, sit down, stand up, there wasn't a change in my heart rate, which is typical with um, POTS. Okay. But so there's no change in heart rate? There was very little. Okay. But just, you know, from my diagnosis with narcolepsy, you know, I learned to trust myself, mm. and something told me something wasn't right, so even though I didn't see those symptoms, we decided to go ahead with a tilt table, mm. and even though it didn't qualify for POTS, they did diagnose me with dysautonomia, so with POTS, you have the change of the heart rate, oh. whereas for me, if I'm standing and changing positions, there was a change in blood pressure, oh. so during the part where you're standing up for 15 minutes, First off, I almost fell asleep somehow, oh. and they have the lights dim. I'm, you know, trying to stay awake for this, and I keep feeling like I'm going to fall asleep. 
But then on the other hand, I also feel like I'm going to puke because my heart rate's dropping so low. Oh, no. And it hit, it was like 50, six, 60 over 50, basically, which is really, really low. Oh. Uh, and even the techs told me after, you know, we don't know how you didn't pass out. Um, but it was enough to get me that diagnosis. Right. But the problem was the doctor that diagnosed me, although he knew how to diagnose it, he didn't know how to treat it. Um, so, you know, from there, I had a name for it, mm -hmm. but I had no treatment. Right. So now you just keep on having more yes. and more complicated diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. But I felt like I finally had an answer for all these symptoms. Mm -hmm. So my primary care doctor really started doing a lot of research to try to find doctors, you know, that treated this, as well as, you know, I was going on Facebook support groups, I was going on Instagram, you know, just trying to find someone that had this, knew someone that treated it, um, and I was having no luck. Oh. And then we finally found a doctor that was actually, unfortunately, in Chapel Hill, which for me is three hours away. Oh, wow. So you cannot um, do telehealth for this. So since I had had no luck finding anyone else, I we um, I took off work and so did my husband, and we made the trip there. Wow. Um, All the way there just to see yes, the doctor. Yes, three hours each way. Whoa. Uh, so like a full day trip, <laughs> not to mention, you know, the time in the doctor's office. Yeah. But I walked in, you know, they had my records, and... For the first time, I had someone that actually understood this. Okay. You know, right. he was the first one to really explain to me what it was. Oh. I knew my heart rate dropped, but I knew very little about it outside of that. Um, I had had luck finding out much about treatment. Um, and we went through both, you know, some of the possible medications, but also some of the lifestyle changes that can help that. Um, because, you know, in addition, you know, you don't want to always just rely on medications. You know, it's that mix. Mm -hmm. However, of course, I have another turn that happened. Um, oh. With dysautonomia, there is a link often with Ehlers-Danlos. Um, and he did evaluate me with that. Um, so that got added as well, wow. um, which was part of my pain um, and we didn't know about. But it allowed me to start to finally understand this picture and to be able to work with, you know, my different providers to, you know, understand how these interact, both with medications as well as, you know, just daily life. Um, but even though I wasn't expecting it, um, it was something that finally allowed me to have the answers that I needed. Right. You know, if I hadn't gone to him, I could have been living with this for who knows how long with no answer. Um, and looking back, you know, there were symptoms of this even prior that I oh. didn't know were symptoms. You know, we had always just called it double jointed. Um, but looking back, you know, those were signs of Ehlers-Danlos. Um, so, you know, shortly after I got that diagnosis, um, we finally were able to start 
some of the newer medications with narcolepsy. Um, because even though I had these other conditions, I still felt like narcolepsy was the one that affected me the most. So instead of trying to, you know, treat all of these all at the same time, trying different medications, that never works out. You don't know which one's working, which one's not. So we decided to focus on that first, and then the others would come. Um, so I did get on some newer medications, um, and for the first time, I started seeing some drastic improvements. I was able to finally do things outside of work. Um, prior to this, it was I would go to work, I would come home and sleep, I would wake up to eat and go back to bed. Like, work was my life. I had a little bit of time on the weekends, but outside that, you know, a lot of my hobbies had kind of gotten pushed to the side. Yeah. You know, a lot of the relationships I had, you know, I wasn't able to put the time in. Um, you know, they they were there for me as much as I can, but, you know, I did not have the energy to put into anything else. So, you know, seeing that change, uh, you know, it it made me, gave me the hope that I had honestly lost. Um, and, you know, once we got that, kind of situated, you know, I was able to start working on some of these other conditions, um, which have been a little bit more complex, um, especially with how they each interact. But I'm hopeful, you know, just like I was able to find what worked with narcolepsy so that I can manage it. It's not to say that it doesn't still affect me. There's still times that I have to go take an emergency nap. There's still times, you know, I have to cancel plans, but I'm living a much better life than I thought I would, you know, previously after that diagnosis. So, you know, it, it takes those little steps, but, you know, you have to trust yourself because ultimately, you know, had I not pushed for some of these things, you know, I could be dealing with these symptoms and have, you know, a second story of waiting 18 years for another diagnosis. Yeah. Um, but if anything, but if anything, um, my narcolepsy diagnosis taught me was to trust my gut. You know, when you know something's wrong, even when the tests come back negative, you know, you're told that you're fine, you're told it's in your head, keep pushing because there is someone out there that'll listen and it's, you never know where you'll call that person. You know, for me, it all started with a neurologist who couldn't treat me and didn't um, know about these symptoms, but was able to point me in that right direction. Um, whereas, you know, what if I had gone to another neurologist, would I even have an answer now? Um, so you have, you have to keep pushing and, you know, one thing that really helped me was logging these symptoms. You know, I, I have journals full of these symptoms over this time period that, you know, taking that to the doctor to show the change, um, was really valuable. Wow. That's so helpful. And you're so organized. And I hear, I keep on hearing a lot of strength, resilience in this whole process. And 
you really listen to your body. I think mm -hmm. that's the most important, one of the most important factor. A lot of people who struggle with different sleep disorders, right? We sometimes ignore the signals our body is sending us, or we just uh, um, don't know how to make sense of it. So we learn to just cover it up and convince ourselves. But sounds like you never give up. And you keep on pursuing an answer, you get the answer, but you still keep on pursuing treatment and prioritize different scenario. And eventually you find more and more hope along the way. Yeah, and I think you hit on something really important. You know, for me early on, especially with narcolepsy, I was trying to normalize these symptoms. You know, when I didn't get an answer, you know, it almost became a thought in my head, well, everyone probably deals with this at some time. You know, when in reality they don't, you know, not everyone is in their 20s or 30s having to take a nap. Um, but to me, you know, I had almost normalized that. Not everyone gets dizzy when they change positions. And I had tried to normalize that. You know, so when we have these things, instead of trying to normalize them and just, you know, push through like we're taught to, you know, really do everything you can to get that answer, you know, and especially having data, whether it's, you know, just a journal of what symptoms you're having, when they are, um, you're able to start making those connections. Um, and just, you know, noticing some of these little moments, you know, because those little moments can be what gets you there. You know, being in that office, you know, with the ENT, testing for inner ear was the point that I realized, hey, it's when I change positions. Oh. So it went from me saying, oh, I'm dizzy, to I'm dizzy when I change positions. More self-awareness for you, too. Yes. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, what it takes to get to that answer. Um, so, you know, my biggest advice for anyone, you know, whether they're dealing with narcolepsy, other sleep disorders, or even other medical conditions, Listen to your body. Write stuff down. Um, I think I went to through two or three composition books with some of these symptoms, but that's what got me the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know you being like all those are data collection, mm -hmm. and for any treatment diagnosis, a lot of time doctors. Um, like job and part of the task is to analyze the data mm -hmm. and so I think it also helps you to sort through what's going on and what the pattern is yeah yeah and I think especially when you know some of these conditions don't have that simple blood test you mm. know for some things you know you can go get the blood drawn and you either confirm it or you disprove it um but when there's not that, you know, there's, you know, or a readily used one, you know, that makes it harder, especially when you're trying to make the case, you know, for insurance to cover some of these more expensive tests like your tilt table, like the MSLT, you know, having those journals can give that doctor that ammunition to help get that approved. Um, because that can be a challenge in itself, just getting these tests approved to diagnose it. Um, and to show that pattern. 
and that it's not, you know, I got dizzy one time, right. that it's, I've been dizzy over the past six months. Yeah, and beauty of that, you can show it to different doctors. If mm -hmm. one doctor has limitations or not want to deal with it, you have the data to bring to the next doctor. And even doctors and doctors, they sometimes exchange records with your permission, right? Yeah. In order to pull the chart, understand the history. And I think to sort through the different symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, when all this first started happening, I assumed it was all one condition, when in reality, it's three different ones. Um, you know, so keeping that data and showing these different symptoms, we were able to start sorting through that, um, you know, and to prioritize the treatment plan, um, you know, because you, unfortunately, as much as we would like to, you know, have a magic answer that, you know, this will treat this, this will treat this, and this will treat this. We don't. So you have to go one at a time to be able to see whether that medication works, what side effects, and to go slowly. Um, so that was able to help us prioritize that in my right. treatment. Right. Yeah, after listening to all this, I just feel like, you know, I really want to uh, say to you and say to all the audience who are listening, I think you deserve an answer and you deserve a good, decent treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And most importantly, I think you deserve a high quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter how much the struggle is, I think, you know, you, you never give up, just keep on trying. The, the medicine field, it keep on developing. And more and more, we will start understanding a lot of things and learn how to manage different things. And the more people speak up, you know, and have these conversations with the doctors, you know, the more accurate numbers we can get for these conditions, mm -hmm. you know, which could potentially lead to there being more of a priority for some of this research mm -hmm. because there's still so many things that we don't know. I mean, just look at sleep alone, like how much we don't understand. Yeah. But the more and more, you know, people talk to their doctors um, and talk to their representatives, you know, that can allow for that change so that we can get more people help. Um, and, you know, if people aren't having those conversations and getting diagnosed, we may not know the true numbers of some of these conditions. Right. Yeah, so happy for you to hear all this wonderful progress. And sounds like you are still working on that and uh, getting the journey even further. Yeah, I mean, it it's a journey. It It's never complete. You know, symptoms change over time. Uh -huh. There's new advancements in medication. Uh -huh. So it's, you know, little adjustments here and there. You know, what works for me now may not work in 10 years. Right. Um, it may not even work in five years, but learning to make those adjustments to be able to do as much as I can with what I've been given you know, I can't change the fact that I have these conditions, but I can learn to manage them the best I can so that I can do the things that I want to do. Yeah, I think that is exactly what it's make, make you so unique and so inspiring is I think you are flexible, mindset-wise, mm -hmm. right? And you're also uh, accept the conditions, what you have to deal with. And based on that, then you work with it. You you try to figure out a way to coexist with it, to manage it so it does not impact your life. If we cannot de destroy those conditions, 
we can still have a life. I think that's what I see most people struggle with. They, they cannot let it go. They could not accept it. And I think one thing for me, you know, with some of the things, it's not that I can't do them. I just may have a different way of doing them. Mm. You know, like with work, you know, there's days that I can't work a straight, you know, full straight hours. So I may work three hours in the morning take a couple hours off and then go back and finish. Mm. You know, sometimes it's that creativity piece, you know, of finding different ways to do the same thing mm. um, and to prioritize, you know, what's truly important. Um, it, it really makes you hone in on, you know, what is most important to you in your life and what is going to give you that joy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to not be afraid to say no. Um, you know, before that, I was the one that I felt like never said no. Um, I wanted to do it all. But now, you know, in order to do the things that I want to do, I have to say no to some of those other things. Um, and I think that's something, you know, sometimes we forget. You know, we, we have to prioritize what's going to give us the most joy. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I think there's a lot of wisdom in this conversation. So uh, near the end, if there's any, you know, um, if any audience who are listening, they have questions about like their own conditions or they're struggling with something, some un unknown answers. Uh, is there any last, you know, final wisdom you want to share with them? Um, my biggest thing, you know, is do your own research. You know, look for reliable sources. Um, one of the biggest things for me was finding nonprofits within those disease communities um, and talking to other patients. You know, one of the great things on both Twitter and Instagram is hashtags. Mm. You know, part of how I discovered some of this was just putting in those hashtags and connecting with people that had those conditions, you know, asking them what their story was. Um, and there's a lot of power, I think, in that social connection. Yeah. So whoever are listening, right, you are not alone. No. Remember this. There are resources out there. There are prof professional help. There are peer support groups. There are a lot of awesome resources out there. So don't struggle alone and really reach out to the resources. Yeah, and don't be afraid to speak up, you know, um, because without speaking up, you're not going to get those answers. Right. If anyone wants to reach out to you, um, do you have do you have a like a contact information you want people to find you or find more of your wonderful like speech or work or yeah of or course um, so I'm both on Instagram and Twitter on Twitter it's once upon a dream which is D R E M no A and then on Instagram it's once upon a D period R period E period M. So same thing, just with a couple extra periods. Um, and I'm happy, you know, to speak to them because um, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. You know, if I can help someone to have that shorter journey, you know, I'm more than happy to. And hopefully, you know, on down the road, some of these diagnosis times can get much shorter so that people can get the answers and the help that they need sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for sharing all this with us. Of course, and thank you, you know, for um, helping me share my story so that we can get this out to 
more people and get them the help that they need. Yeah, I think really this is much needed. I hope more and more people can listen to your story, can really understand this and start thinking about their journey, right? Their next step, what they can do. And I also hope one day you can publish your own book your, with all this wonderful data you, you've been through. We'll see about that. That would that could be a very long project. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is in rush. So, yeah. Life but is a journey. It's long. It very much is. But thank you so much. Thank you. So, hope you liked my conversation with Lindsay. What a story. I was so touched when I interviewed her during the conference. And I have to apologize for the background noise I re- because I recorded this interview with her in between sessions. So I could not really reduce the background noise very much. But hopefully you still catch the awesome part of the conversation. So I listened to so many great sleep research talks and sleep treatment lectures. I will summarize some of them in our future episodes and deliver some of the great summaries to you through our podcast. This is Dr. Yishan. Thanks for listening. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.